You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. I'm kicking this show right off talking about the Tim Anderson thing, getting it out of the way, and then getting to James Fox, who's going to talk about uh, the top 30 prospects and the 20 that were left off the list at Future Socks. We're giving away the cork and carry at the park banner from last year, and we've got actual things to talk about when it comes to the White Sox, and that's a made-up indignation over Tim Anderson in a clip that was put in a vacuum out in the social media and was clearly done just for clicks, Ed. Did you feel that way when you saw it? Yeah, I did. I did because I, I didn't think, I didn't think that there was anything that he said that, first of all, that I wouldn't expect a player to want to say. And also, I, I think it was directed at the person he was talking to, not so much at the White Sox nation, as it were. You know, not that we call ourselves that, but that you know, no, it, don't it, call it's us just, that. No, nobody wants to call <laughs> it because it's Red Sox nation, and we don't want to be like that, do we? Don't no, we call don't. It that. We don't. really don't want to be like that. Please don't call it that. All right, here's no. the thing. If you're the been... White Sox universe, I, you know. No, the... no, that's like the WWE universe. That's also obnoxious. Don't socks dumb. No, oh, no, stop. That, that's Jerry Reinsdorf and Rickon and Kenny Williams. No, anyway. Just a quick recap: If you've been living under a rock, Tim Anderson goes on the corporate podcast and gives an interview in a place where, trust me, he's been made to feel as safe. We have to jump through like 17 hoops and then beg, borrow, and steal to get a White Sox player to come on an independent podcast like Sox in the Basement. They don't make it easy in any way, okay? That podcast is owned by a company in which the majority ownership of that company is the owner of the White Sox. They get nothing but access. It makes perfect sense. I understand it, but the players basically expect they're going to get more than a fair shake. In fact, that's really kind of the propaganda machine right there. And trust me, they know it as much as any reasonable White Sox fan knows it. So this clip comes out on social media of an interview with Tim Anderson and our boy Chuck over there, and it's in a a vacuum. It's essentially T.A. answering a question and Chuck repeatedly kind of going back at him in a playful way where it comes, if you you just listen to it in a void, you'd be like, Tim Anderson uh, doesn't like the fact the fans are critical and Tim Anderson doesn't like it when the media is critical. But then after the clip is out, Chuck and everybody else associated with the show is like, oh, this is out of context. You got to listen to the whole thing. If you listen to the whole thing, then then you'll understand that it isn't as bad as you think it is. That's clickbait. That's somebody exploiting a guest and taking just a little clip and putting it out there in order to increase listenership for the product they're putting out. That's something we have never done on this show in five years no, and would never no, no, do. No. We never did it with any White Sox player, member of their staff. That's why people come back on this show. I could never get Timmy Anderson because he's so highly protected by the White Sox. I would never do that to T.A. But I'm telling you, if I'm T.A., I'd never do that show again. Unless I'm somehow contractually obligated to do it, I'd never do that show again. Because they used you and they took a clip and it blew up. And then, of course, Chicago radio just does not have enough to fill four hours of time per show. So now they're just rolling with it, baby. You know, I keep hearing everybody saying, oh, look at all the controversies surrounding this team. All right. But how much of it is manufactured so that you can fill four hours of talk time? And and don't don't think that I don't understand that's how that works. I used to be in that. I, I used to do the same thing. 
Oh, the things we used to fill time with. <laughs> I mean, I mean, literally, if you guys, if, if folks listening to you and me right now could understand some of the drivel that you and I used to come up with because it took us 20 minutes to get through it at five in the morning or whatever, it makes me shudder to think. But, I, you know, I, we can save you some time, right? Because we can save you some time and sit there and say that Tim Anderson does not hate White Sox fans. Tim Anderson does not hate you. Tim Anderson... Tim Anderson wants his team to support his team. And that's the thing. And you know what? Tim Anderson's not very good on a microphone. Really good baseball player. Some questionable personal things. I think we've talked about that on this show. Really that's bad okay. really bad on a microphone. Like, he doesn't yeah. have a post-baseball career on a mic. He doesn't really paint a picture when he talks. I don't think anybody with any sense would say that about him after listening to his interviews. But I do get a kick out of the fact that a couple years ago, before the wheels came off of the supposed rebuild, people loved it. The media ate it up when he said, you're either riding with us or you're going to get rode over or ridden over, however he phrased it. Or when he was on sports talk radio here in this city, and he was saying, he was swearing and they're bleeping it and giggling like schoolgirls, like, oh, he swore. And they played it constantly where he was basically saying, you're either with us or against us. So now he's saying, we want you to be with us, stay positive, we're going to win. Oh, he's a selfish player who hates the fans. I, I just don't get that from him. I, you want to have problems with Timmy Anderson? Trust me, you could find different things in his game that you may not like. You may not like all the stuff going on in the background in his personal life. And we talked about it on previous shows about how that could have served as a distraction and may have led to poor play last year because whenever something happens in his life outside of baseball, it feels like, at least to somebody who just has, like, you know, knowledge from 30,000 feet above, that possibly, just observing it, it leaks into his game. I just don't feel like the clip represented what was actually being talked about. And again, I go back to whoever put the clip out and say that was cheap, you were going for clicks, you're trying to get more listeners, then it backfired on you, and now you're trying to say, oh, it wasn't that bad. And you know it bothers Tim because he's responding to tweets from radio stations playing clips of people criticizing him, saying that's not what I meant. But again, I mean, like, this is spring training in 2023 for the Chicago White Sox. It's ridiculous right. what spring training has been so far for the Chicago White Sox. For all the people that want the White Sox to win, supposedly, you sure are trying to screw up their mojo right out of the gate. Well, well hold on. Hold on. Isn't this Tim's point, though? Isn't Tim making that point exactly for you by sitting there saying, look, for the players, if you cheer for us and you stay positive, we're going to keep working hard and we feed off of that and it helps us inspire us to get through some of these bad times and some of the bad play and stuff like that. Isn't that that was that's what I took away from his comment in the first place was look, we feed off of positivity. This team wants wants the positivity. So if you guys keep showing up for us, we're gonna keep showing up for you and we promise to do better. What's wrong with that? I can't believe we're water carrying for a player right now. Like that's how we would be. You perceived. and me, of all the of all the we people, never we're always like angry about something. And like I'm sitting around yeah. going, what are we also angry about? This episode of Socks in the Basement brought to you by Cork and Carry at the Park, uh, the home of the podcast for fans by fans. Socks in the Basement in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd in Princeton. Two for one burgers when you dine in on Mondays. Non socks home games and an extensive bar with a rotation of craft beers familiar favorites, spirits, and wines. It is your home base for pregame, postgame, and viewing parties. Bring the kiddos over, the whole family. It adds to your ballpark experience. We always talk about that. Trust me, you will enhance it at Cork and Carry at the Park. And remember, the Southside Irish Parade is coming. 
106th and Western. Get out to Cork and Carry Beverly. It is the epicenter of the parade, and Saks in the Basement expected to be there. Uh, come by and say hi. I got some swag. A bunch of boxes just arrived today, so I uh, I cannot wait to hand out a bunch of free stuff at Cork and Carry. See more at CorkandCarry.com. I got this letter, and this will illustrate my point, a point that I want to make about why we get upset on this team. Right. And it's from a gentleman named Steve. I don't want to read the last name because I don't know if that's what he wants. He sent it through our contact form at SocksInTheBasement.com. And he wrote this. I, I, I thought it was great, so I'm going to try to read the majority of it. It's a little long, but I, want, I think this proves a point. He writes, guys, I'd like to do a quick comparison of two players. Played the same position, slightly different eras. Player A's best season, a 4.8 B-War and a 107 OPS+. Plus. In his second best season, a 2.4 B-War and a 99 OPS+. Plus. He played 888 career games. Player B's best season is considered an outlier, so I won't mention it, but his second best season, he had a 4.0 B-War and 116 OPS+. Plus. And I'll just do the quick math for you. Slightly lower B-War, slightly higher OPS+, plus in the best season of Player A if you're trying to keep track. And then for his career, he had a 107 OPS plus compared to player A's at 92, so that's better, and 13.4 B-War for his career. Uh, Player A was 14.7. You covered that? Did I describe that well enough for you? I got it. The big reveal is that Joe Creedy is player A and player B is Yuan Moncada. And what he's trying to say is, same guy. And the point that he's trying to make is that he's not bad at baseball. He's wondering about the criticism we have for Yoan Moncada. And I wrote back to him and I said, you're right. We're not angry with Yoan Moncada and yelling about him because we don't think he's a real Major League Baseball player. He is. We're mad at the front office. That's why we yell about him. This is the guy that you traded Chris Sale for. You got Michael Kopech, who's still at the bottom of your rotation, and Yoan Moncada, who turns out, if he is Joe Creedy, is a seven hitter because that's what Joe Creedy was. There weren't any expectations for Joe Creedy, right? Like, I never heard of Joe Creedy being at the top of any prospect list. When Joe Creedy showed up, it wasn't people on their feet for his first at bat. The organization didn't push Joe Creedy in good times and in bad like this organization that is still trying to tell me it's only injuries and one of these days he's going to be a star. That's what I think gets under the skin of most White Sox fans when they talk about Yohan Mangata. If he came in with the same hype as Joe Creedy, you would accept him as a starting third baseman that's in the bottom of your order that you don't need to expect much from. And if a trade came along or somebody better, you would move on from him. Because trust me, with the exception of the 2005 season and shortly thereafter, if somebody would have traded for Joe Creedy, or he would have moved off the team before 05, I don't think it would have ripped me up very much as a fan. Then he helped us win a World Series, you became attached to him. But in the end, if they're really the same player, you're right. If it weren't for all the hype with Moncada, you wouldn't be upset. And you blame the front office because the way that he was he was added to the team, he should be better. So you're actually more upset with Rick Hahn, Kenny Williams, and those that evaluate talent in the White Sox front office when you yell about Yohan Moncada. For the same reason that I get mad about Larry Garcia being on this team, because you paid him $16 million over three years, and you can go get Hanser Alberto, and he's basically the same player, and pay him absolutely nothing and give him a non-roster invitee, and, and now all of a sudden, you you fill that hole and you haven't wasted all that money you could have used it someplace else, okay? Garcia's a Major League Baseball player, but he's a fringe player between AAA and, and, and the Major Leagues who shouldn't be making that money. When I yell about him, it's not so much him, it's the front office! And it, the same thing applies to the Tim Anderson stuff, Right? 
I mean, he he wants to be positive and he wants to go out and he wants to win. Well, trust me, Tim, the majority of the anger is not at you guys as players. It's at the people that are in charge, the owner that should sell the team, the front office that's inept, and the and the old man that was the manager for the last two years who didn't even know where he was during half the games, and there's people yelling at him from the stands, uh, hey, Tony, you should pinch run and put Angle in. And then he does it because he's that freaking lost. That's what we're yelling about, okay? And I think anybody rational sees that, and I don't think anybody rational believes that White Sox players are blaming fans, Okay, this is some sort of thing that's being created. I don't see it, but I do see people in the media trying to create it. Look, there's a lot to unpack in your anger there. There is. I'll let you unpack it after our guest. Socks in the Basement listeners, if you're looking for exterior windows, doors, patio doors, storm doors, there's one place where you should start. And then finish there as well because the quality is out of this world. Window and door superstore of Oak Forest. Look, no high pressure sales. They're not showing up in your house, putting their feet up on your table, and bringing in some dingy little window that you can't even imagine in your house. You're going to go into the showroom. Full examples, glass designs on display for you to look at them and figure out exactly what you want. Forget pictures in a book, see it in person. Owners are in the showroom. Owners are on site at the job. All the workers work for Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest. You know what that means? It means no matter what happens, they are there with you from the beginning to the end of the job. 40 years in business in Oak Forest since 1985, serving the South Side. They order each job custom made, no stock items. You get a perfect fit every time with all major brands. Window and Door Superstore of Oak Forest is a half a block east of 159th and Ridgeland at 6280 159th Street. Stop in and see them today. And joining me on the phone line right now, a good friend of ours who's been on the show so many times. We're always lucky to have him from Future Sox, James Fox. How are you, James? I'm good, sir. How are you? Good. You put out a, a top 30 prospect list and then you put out like another list uh, of like the 20 guys that almost made the top 30. So really you did a top 50. Before we get into the top 30, do any of those guys just outside the top 30 ever really become something? Or is are you just doing that the same way that I rank fantasy baseball players all the way down to the last guy, even though I'm never going to get to that point in the draft? No, I would say sometimes. I mean, I think a guy like Bennett Sousa last year, I think was on the just missed. And now Bennett Sousa is a member of the Cincinnati Reds. So yeah, I mean, like, it happens. I can't remember, like, Ryan Burroughs is, like, a Panamanian um, shortstop that is on our list at 17. He, he might have been on last year in the preseason. But, yeah, like, sometimes they get on. Like, I think uh, Wolfred, Wolfred Varis, I think, was one that had been on before. So I'm looking at your list. I'm looking at the top part of the list uh, more than anything. But, like, I'm excited about Colson Montgomery. Okay, Oscar Colas is is going to be playing right field for the White Sox. It seems like a given, right? And as I move down the list after those those top two guys, you know, even though there are a few guys that you're are promising, it just feels very thin overall. When you look at the White Sox farm system, what would you say is the state of the farm system right now? Yeah, so I think it's definitely thin. I think the top of it is better. I would say that it was very easy to rank like eleven prospects. But then after that, it got pretty difficult. And like we talked about it, like six of us did it and 
essentially we do like an aggregate like list. Like we all make our own top 30. And then this year for the first time I started using like prospect points. So whoever had like first place votes, think of it this way, like got 30 points, right? So everybody had Colts Montgomery 30. So he gets 180 points total. So then everybody that like gets a 30th place vote gets one point. And then we like kind of like aggregated the list and then looked at it. But I mean, yeah, I think the reason why this farm system is like ranked in the 25 to 30 range is generally because of prospects 11 through 20, in my opinion, it was just like tough. And it's, it's another reason why it's like tough for the White Sox to make deals because those guys at the top, you're probably not going to trade. And then some of your other guys like Noah Schultz, like don't really have enough value yet, but you also don't want to trade them. But then while guys like, you know, uh, Lenin Sosa and Jose Rodriguez are guys who I think are going to like be in the big leagues and could potentially help the White Sox. I think a lot of teams have similar prospects like in their farm systems. So it's just like, you know, it's kind of tough, but I do think, you know, like Colson Montgomery's really burst onto the scene. I mean, when guys like Keith Law are talking about him, the way that he's talking about him, you know, it's very promising. Like that looks like, you know, a guy that's going to be like really good. We're going to see Oscar Colas, you know, it's a big year for Brian Ramos. And then the pitching, the pitching, you know, better, but I wouldn't say that there's just like a bunch of innings yet. Right. So that, that's like the thing, the thing that could really make, this system go would be like if a couple of those pitchers like really burst out of the scene this year did well. I found it interesting. You you mentioned Noah Schultz. He shows up fourth on your list uh, on the uh, top 30 prospects put out by Future Sox. And I, I think Joe Kelly questioned why he wasn't in camp because he's impressed <laughs> yeah, with thought. him, right? I thought that was really interesting. So tell me a little bit about Noah Schultz. He said, why isn't he in big league camp? His stuff is better than mine, essentially. <laughs> it's like, well, because he's, because he's 19 and he hasn't even pitched yet, but he pitched it in structure. Yeah, I mean, one thing I will say about Noah Schultz, like taking high school pitchers early, it's a risky demo. And the, the White Sox took a risky demo within a risky demo, if that makes sense. They took a six foot nine high school lefty. But, you know, with the 28th pick in the first round, you know, I think their mentality was, okay, like, we think if this guy hits, like, he could be, like, an ace, right? Like, a one or a two. Whereas, like, if you're taking a college starter at 28, like, it's probably a number three or four starter, and it's a guy that's safer, for sure, that's probably going to pitch in the big leagues for you, but they just kind of gambled on the upside, which I think makes sense, and it's, you know, it's interesting because he was a local kid, right? And he didn't really pitch much as a senior at Oswego East High School because he had mono and he had some other things going on. But he did pitch in like a prospect league in the summer and he posted a 093 ERA with 37 strikeouts in 19 innings against wooden bat, like college kids, essentially signed for 2.8 million with the Sox. He, you know, he had a Vanderbilt commit and he went to the Sox instead. And I heard really good things from like instructional league. Um, he has like a plus plus two seam fastball that gets up to 98. Um, the slider is like plus as well. And then, you know, it's a, he's going to need a change up or something. Um, to get righties out. But yeah, very interesting. He has no innings essentially. Um, so hopefully he's in like low Canapolis for most of the year. And I think if he threw a hundred innings, I think that would be a plus. This is a guy though, where if he goes to Canapolis and he's like really good, I mean, they're going to have another top 100 prospect. He's definitely um, to me, the top pitching prospect in the system. He's not the safest, right? Like there's guys that are safer and there's a couple guys you know, who you, who you might see in the big leagues. And one of them we're probably definitely going to see this year. But, you know, ranking, part of it is proximity to the majors, but a lot of it is, like, ceiling, which is where, like, Noah Schultz comes into play here. 
We're joined here on Socks in the Basement by James Fox of Future Socks. He is brought to you just like every guest here on Socks in the Basement by the Village of Lamont. Want to experience a downtown with real history, great eats and drinks, and green spaces filled with adventure? Visit the Village of Lamont. Shop, dine, drink, explore. I was just out there with a couple of friends at one of their beautiful restaurants downtown. They're downtown better than Chicago's downtown. Trust me. Food's out of this world. There's always something going on. It's beautiful. And it's not as far away for the majority of the South Side. Learn more. See everything they have going on at LamontDowntown.com. Let's talk Chris Getz because he's the guy that's overseeing everything in the minor leagues. And of course, those that are evaluating talent, picking talent, filling this farm system up. How confident are you in the group that's developing this farm system? So, you know, they've changed a lot. They've done a lot on the hitting side that I'm a pretty big fan of. I like Andy Barquette, their hitting coordinator. I mean, one thing is, like, we've seen some of these, like, international guys kind of matriculate stateside and, like, up into double A and, like, into the majors. Like, there was a long time where Marco Patti was getting a lot of credit for Jose Abreu and Luis Robert, but he, they didn't really graduate any of these, like, like normal, like regular international signings to the big leagues. And now you have like Elaine Sosa and Jose Rodriguez knocking on the door and Brian Ramos not too much further away. So yeah, like the development system has definitely been better is what I would say. So when I look at the fact that Oscar Colas is likely the right fielder, and then I know that uh, Colson Montgomery ain't coming to the majors this year, uh, who else could I possibly see on this list in the 2023 season uh, put a White Sox jersey on? Yeah, so I think Sean Burke is like probably the top candidate um, just as a right-handed pitcher. Um, he's in AAA. He's only made a couple of – I think he made a couple of starts in AAA last year. He was a third-round pick in 2019. So I would say Sean Burke is like part of that immediate pitching depth that, um, you know, that comes in behind like what they would – have who's Davis Martin is the name that I'm thinking of that I'm sitting here like trying to reach for. But yeah, like Davis Martin, Jonathan Stever, those types. I think Sean Burke is like right behind them. And then look, like Lenin Sosa, Jose Rodriguez, like those guys are very likely going to be in Charlotte. So like they're close to um, a little bit further away. Matthew Thompson was a second round prep pitcher that they took a couple of years back. Um, he's going to be in double A, but I think like you could lump him in with like some of that as well. And then, you know, we did put a couple of recent additions on our list as well this time, just because it was like tough not to in a system like this. Right. But you've probably seen these names, Gregory Santos um, and Franklin German, you know, they, they traded for Santos from the, actually they traded for both guys, I believe, you know, they profile as back end reliever type guys. Um, and, and they have options. So so those guys should be in Charlotte, but that's like some immediate depth like in the bullpen. James Fox, as always, good stuff. Remember to check out the top 30 prospect list and the 20 that just missed it and learn more about what James is talking about over at Future Socks. They worked really hard to put all that together and we're fortunate enough that he came out and talked with us right here. Thanks a lot, my friend. All righty, man. Thanks for having me. Socks in the Basement listeners, do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota 
and one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. All right, we compared Joe Creedy and Yoan Moncada earlier in the show. I went on a little rant about Tim Anderson and this perception that's getting pushed out there about how players feel about fans, which I think is a little bit overblown. So I, I got a little nuts at the beginning of the show. A lot of it's really justified. And here's 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 the other problem with the comparison with Joe Creedy and Yoan Moncada. Okay. One, it's the contract. Two, it's the hype. Three, it's the fact that when you're comparing Joe Creedy and you're comparing Yoan Moncada, Joe Creedy showed up really as a starter in 2003 when he was 25 years old. In the prior seasons, he had cups of coffee with the White Sox but could not beat out Herbert Perry or Jose Valentin, who they moved to third base because he was no longer viable as a shortstop. Meanwhile, at age 22, here comes Yohan Moncada to start up with the White Sox, where he's at 231, 235, hit his one really great year in 2019 when everybody could hit, 225 in the last uh, two years, 263, and then 212. So... His batting average is terrible. His OPS is right around where Joe Creedy's was. He's bumped up by 2019. But he is a guy that was supposed to be a superstar. Joe Creedy is a guy who was a riser in the White Sox system that couldn't beat the milkman for a job. Right. Traded the best pitcher in baseball for him versus we're going to give Jose Valentin his last year in a contract as a third baseman and let Joe Creedy go back to triple A. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. Is it, do you believe, and this is a, this is a legitimate question and, and maybe, maybe you do believe it. Maybe you're right. If you believe it, or maybe you're wrong. I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is a question that should be asked more often. Do you believe it's more Yoan Mankata's fault that he hasn't been able to rise to the level that he was expected to rise to, or was he misevaluated? And this is just what he is. I mean, I guess on one hand, he was at the top of the MLB pipeline list, so every scout thought he was good. So either everybody misevaluated him or he's fallen short of his own volition. It's a little of both. Okay, I mean, it has to be, right? Because he was this highly touted player, like you said, number one in the pipeline. So that's you don't get that by accident. You don't get that by being misevaluated by the White Sox, so that's for sure. You get that from a lot, like you said, every scout in baseball, basically. So I think it is. I think it is Yohan Moncada did not and has not really lived up to expectations. And that is either on his own volition, as you say, because he's actively just sitting there going, I'm just good enough as I am. Or it's, you know, from from some other thing that has held him back, right? Some lack of talent that everybody missed or something like that. But either way, it's on him to, to figure out how to be successful at Major League Baseball. But it is the front office's fault because they are so afraid of having to overpay a player down the road and in, in arbitration, in free agency and whatever, that they go and they sometimes do this thing where they give the young guys, the, the top guys, they give them these contracts that avoid arbitration. And everyone's like, oh, smart move, except when the player doesn't turn out as good. And there's a history in all sports of guys getting a contract and deciding, I got my money. What do I need to worry? What do I need to worry about? 
And I don't know if that's what Yohan Moncada is doing. The fact is, that's why he's so frustrating, because he was the top prospect in Major League Baseball, and he has proven to be a very good third baseman, and he has proven to be a guy who just is not good enough at the plate. He's just not good enough. And Joe Creedy is a great folk hero for the 2005 White Sox, but the fact is, is that really, honestly, between 2003 and 2007 is when he had his White Sox career. And after that, it was pretty much done. So that's five years of a guy and one World Series. And Yohan Moncada, in theory, should be here have a lot longer of a White Sox career and should have had a lot more success during this time period. I still have hopes that he's a he's a viable piece this year that actually boosts the team a little bit. Let's get one of his better seasons this year and see what we can do with this with this group while we still have it all together at the back end of this supposed window. But uh, somebody asked me about him, like, well, what do you think of him? I said, well, if he could hit 265 and 18 home runs this year and give us that defense and go from being a, a 4B war to being a 6 or a 7, and you'd be like, I'll take that any time. Right, and that's Joe Creedy. Let's let's do this contest. We promised people we were going to do. Oh yeah, yeah, we're giving away the banner from Cork and Carry at the park from last year. We had all these people write in what they would do with the banner. In the end, we're just going to to pick a name. I drew I drew ten names. I drew ten different names and put them on the big wheel here because it's a podcast and I want people to at least hear something while we're drawing names. Okay, so I have ten names. Written here on the dry erase uh, wheel, spinny wheel that we've used before here on the show. And I'm going to spin the wheel, whatever name it lands on, they're getting the banner. The rules are here, very simply, uh, I'm not going to spend $400 to ship this banner. It's huge. Okay. So if for some reason somebody turns it down because they live in like Hawaii and they want me to send it to them and they don't want to pay for it, the, the first runner up will get it. And hopefully that person will live in Chicago and I can just drop it off at their house. So here we go. We're going to we're going to spin this right now, Ed. And we're going to see. And, we all. and one more thing. We read some of the entries. We did not read everybody that's entered into this because that would have been an awful lot of letters and messages. So if you never heard us talk about it or play your phone call, it doesn't mean you're not in this. OK, I had somebody we, ask we, me. That we heard you. We, we, we heard see you. you and we hear you. Trust me. It says red right underneath the 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 message that you sent me. You know, I saw it. I put you on the list. Don't worry about it. OK, here we go. Who's winning the cork and carry at the park socks in the basement 2022 10 foot banner. And the winner is Jim and Amy Duff. Jim and Amy Duff win the banner, they're both both their names are on there because each one of them sent in an entry separately. But I noticed the same last name and I put them together. If somehow they actually are not from the same household, then they have to arm wrestle for it. But <laughs> <laughs> like one of them sent me a message through SoxInTheBasement.com if I'm not mistaken. And the other one sent it through Instagram. But Jim and Amy, the banner is yours. Uh, we will reach out to you and we will link up and we will get, get it to you. If we don't get it to you, Here's the first runner-up. This person only gets it if the other person decides the banner doesn't fit in their house. They don't want it. They said, uh, hey, I'm going to get this banner. And somebody else who actually owns the home was like, you're not putting this anywhere. The first runner-up. Here we go. And we have Dean Coppin. I think I'm reading that correctly. He would be the first runner-up. I have written underneath it, BI teacher. So I believe this is the Blue Island teacher from a couple episodes ago who said he would put it up in his classroom. So that is oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. right. So that that is the first runner up. So Dean gets it. 
if our winners, Jim and Amy, decide that they don't want it or can't pick it up or can't get it shipped or whatever. But we'll reach out to them and put it together. I want to say thank you very much to everybody who participated in this. I can't believe everyone wants this outdoor banner. And it basically sat out there through wind and snow and sleet and hail and probably 18 people spilling beer on it outside after a big White Sox win. And a bunch of people <laughs> mad about Yon Moncada. <laughs> well, it doesn't, like, it doesn't smell like pee, right? It, it doesn't smell like anything. It doesn't smell like anything. I, I actually went out and smelled it. I, I, I'm going to admit, I, <laughs> I did. Because like after I got it, I was like, I was like, if I'm giving this away, like, I really don't want to send something that like, so I, I went out there and I gave it a couple little sniffs. I'm like, it smells okay. And then I made like one of the teenagers come over and I shoved it in his face. I'm like, does this smell? But, uh, but it, my wife would not let me bring it in the house. So it has been, it has been sitting outside. It's not in a snow drift or anything else like that. But she was like, you're not bringing that outdoor banner in the house. So Mrs. Lanuti wouldn't let it into the house, but you can have it now in yours. So congratulations to Jim and Amy, who, uh, if I'm not mistaken, they were one of the people that said they were going to display it inside of their home. So I would say wash it, right? Like take the outdoor banner, throw some suds on it. Yeah, Yeah, use it as a big slip and slide for the kids for a day and get that sucker washed off and then bring it into the home after you've you've dried it off. Right? You ever do that? that You ever do that before? You ever slip and slide with uh, something that wasn't meant to be a slip and slide? Yeah, and I did five to ten years for it. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on SocksInTheBasement.com.